Tree Grows in Brooklyn is Betty Smith's 1943 novel about an Irish family eking out a hard existence in New York during the years before the First World War. During World War II, the Army thought it was good enough to send with the troops in special pocket-sized editions. Strangely enough, the boys loved it. So we thought we would get some Irish whiskey and see what all the fuss was about. Yeah, it's darkly ironic that we're indulging in the curse of the Irish, which is drinking, right? While talking about a book with a fatally alcoholic character, but what else were we going to choose? So crack open your own bottle of the water of life. It's time for episode 20 of Toasting the Classics, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. All right, well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Toasting the Classics, episode number 20, I think, I hope. This is 20, the big 2-0. With, uh, with Clint Lanier and... Dave MacArthur. Actually, we should introduce we ourselves are, uh, the other way around because it's it's written Dave MacArthur and Clint Lanier. So I, I switch it. I switch it every other episode. Oh, do you? I write it oh, differently. Yeah. yeah. I don't you know are, what it says. You're what they call a mensch. Look at you. Yes. I'm trying to be anyway. Trying to be. Which so, uh, which almost almost reminds me of my biggest surprise about this book, which is kind of basic. So maybe I should just get to it. But let's see. So what are we what are we covering this week? What did you choose well, for the before book? Before we go, before we go there, I want to explain to the listening audience, since they're not a viewing audience, that Okay. For the third time in four weeks, uh, we are we are having to do this at separate locations because my globe trotting partner in crime over here just can't seem to keep his butt in, and in by, and, enchantment. And by so, globe, do you mean globe Arizona? <laughs> well, it's pretty it's pretty nearby. I don't know we'll if anybody see. would actually trot there, but did, they might did, get the trot. Well, didn't we do there. we did we did DC or Virginia? Uh, uh, yeah, I was in Virginia. I was in Hawaii, but we didn't actually record from Hawaii. We were going to. We didn't we, get around. We, we, told, to it. we told people we would. No, we didn't. We we admitted we admitted that we, were, we weren't doing that. Here. Okay, but in any case, uh, that's why we're kind of doing this on Zoom. So if you hear a little bit of the Zoom noise, we'll call it. Uh, if you get that like robots in disguise, yeah. kind of like uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. thing. That's that, that's the get Zoom that, doing that. Right, if you get that sound. So okay, so what are we doing today, Dave? We're doing your pick, man. This this was you. This this is a book that I think means hey, a lot to you. I was as, gonna say, a, I was gonna say, who the heck picked this stupid book? I oh my god. Don't say that. <laughs> I won't say that. Besides, yeah, it's up so to me whether it's a classic. So well, we're doing uh, Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. Tree, uh, Tree Grows in Brooklyn, Betty Smith. Yes, 1943. 1943. Going way back. That's right. Yeah, going way back. Some stuff I didn't know about. Well, I guess I guess we should do a summary. Do you want to do the synopsis? Do you want me to do the synopsis? Yeah. I mean, essentially, this is a I mean, I guess it's your thing. So maybe you should do it. Usually we do whoever chose it synopsizes it, but right. you know, I, yeah. I can do it. That's fine. It's it's a story of a little girl growing up in an Irish family with in very hard times in Brooklyn from about I think the book starts somewhere just after the turn of the century and goes until the First World War. And essentially just it just chronicles a, a hard, a hard Irish life in right. Brooklyn. It's not, it's not a plot-driven book. It's just kind of the story of a life, of right. a family's life. They go, it's all the things you can imagine. You know, the dad drinks too much, which is personally as an Irish person, I'm offended at that stereotype, despite the fact that it's probably true <laughs> and, and marked a lot of families. And I'm aware of people in my own family history that had this problem. Maybe this is where the stereotype comes from, for all I know. In, in Betty Smith's defense, you know, this is autobiographical, and that was her dad. To Johnny, some extent, right? Johnny Nolan was was her dad, uh, and he died when he was okay. four, and he was an alcoholic. He was an Irish alcoholic, the whole thing. So, I mean, she she was writing this from a very personal perspective, right? So she's not she's yeah. not looking she's not an outsider making fun of the Irish. She's like, there we go. This is my there experience. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, then that's fine. Then you yeah, know, it's not a stereotype if it's true, I guess. So. <laughs> 
guess that's I guess that's okay. Well, it's her truth. Let's say let's say that it's her truth. So, do you know what part of Brooklyn it takes place in? Like, what part of Brooklyn she lives in? Uh, Williamsburg. Williamsburg, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like how different those places are from the way yes. they are today. Well, like, pretty much. Like at one point, she's like, "That was at Go first. Ten- everything that was at one time a tenement is now like they call it transitioned is the word that they use for it, but it's all gentrified, right? Right. I mean, it's Nate, all- how much? How much did your condo in Williamsburg end up being worth? Sold it for one point six seven five. Did you hear that? One point <laughs> six seven five. One point six seven five million. That amount of this, this is the story is about people that are pinching pennies right. to buy coal and turning off their stove. Well, she's she's at, literally you know. at the very beginning, you see her selling her and her brother collecting and selling scrap metal. Right. Um, right. You know, for, for pennies and then giving the money to her mom who yeah. cleans apartments. Right. So 1.65 million. So that appreciation only took, oh, about a hundred years, a <laughs> hundred years, a hundred years. So, years. so actually, if you think about it, if you had bought something then and sold it in 2020, yeah. then, you know, if you'd actually taken your money and put it in the stock market, you probably have more money. I don't know. Or, well, or if you just put it in like a simple bond for a hundred years, how I much money would you have? I seriously doubt. The magic, the magic of doubt, compound interest. <laughs> yeah. But I seriously doubt Nate's house was a shack built by, you know, by, for poor Irish immigrants. And, and but I think well, it looked to me like it had once had once been like warehouses. I don't think yeah. it was actually ever like a, a residential property back in the day. But, you know, it, it's a, uh, I think the, the point being that, I mean, that's kind of one of the, the things of, you know, one of the themes of the novel is change and, and growth through time. And so you said, it, you know, it's, it's about a, an Irish immigrant. She's actually an American. Her parents right. were both immigrants. Right. Um, I guess they're all American. But she was no, like, her parents were born in the States too. Yeah. Her, her, that was her, the, she was the only one at yeah. her school who was, is a person, is, is Francie, the main character, is mm-hmm. she a first or a second generation immigrant? So she would be, oh, wait, immigrant or American? Because I would always talk to people. And so Korean, my my wife is an immigrant. Uh So she says that she's the immigrant and her kids are the first generation immigrants. And I'm never sure whether that's how it works or whether they're second generation. Like on my side, obviously, they're like seventh or eighth generation Americans. But on on my wife's side, they're, I don't know. know. I'm not sure how the nomenclature works. But how can you be a generational immigrant? Because you're already here. It doesn't make sense. You can be born to immigrants, right? I mean, I grew up with a lot of people, like maybe three-fourths of my friends, their parents were people that had immigrated to the United States. Mm-hmm. So I always wondered what you call that. I don't know whether you call that, maybe first-generation American would be what yeah. the person born here would be. So Francie's, I guess, a second-generation second American. And right. she's the only one at her school who's yeah. like that. Some of the people had been born in Brooklyn, but nobody else had parents that were born in Brooklyn. Right. Which well, makes sense if you think, you know. Yeah, most of them were, most of them were immigrants. Most of the, a lot of the kids. Uh-huh. Are yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. The- My oldest daughter actually was born in Brooklyn Oh, um, and her, her mother was an immigrant. They all came to Brooklyn and they ended up there. And then, my daughter was born in Brooklyn. And when she was a little kid, she hated that. She thought it was the most boring thing in the world. And I remember having to tell her, I was like, this is the coolest place to be born. Like, this is a really neat place to be from. Yeah. Like you're one day you're going to feel so silly for everything and felt that way. And it's totally right. true. I think she's proud of it. You know, yeah. it's like the quintessential American place in a lot of ways. Right. If you think about it, because it's not that's like, where, uh, and that where, that's where Captain America was from Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Yeah. I remember when he gets in the fight with Spider-Man. Yeah. And he's like, where are you from, kid? And he's like, Queens. And he like kicks, kicks Spider-Man's butt and he's like, Brooklyn. So written 1943, autobiographical. Uh-huh. A lot of uh, Betty Smith's you know, story was here. Uh, I think she was born, in, I believe, like 1896, about the same time. So it, it would Sounds be about, about the same right? yeah. kind, of, kind of time period. I think this takes, trying to remember, because it, it flashes back in like book two. 
but it does. It starts in 1912. 1912 they don't right? mention it, but okay. they don't mention it, but it's a couple months. Yeah. They flash back to about 1900, right? And I, they don't mention it, but I'd say it's probably it's just a couple months after the Titanic sank, actually. Right. It'd be, which is funny. I kept expecting them to mention that because it's so close in time and it was a New York thing. You'd think that would be like something. Yeah, but that I, I, don't know if, I don't know how much that cast of society kind of paid attention to that, right? You know, it's kind of like what we say about. Well, but that's what I was thinking. I was thinking if you're if you're an Irish or Italian or whatever immigrant in Brooklyn in 1912, you you probably had family maybe that went down with that ship because that's who died was a bunch of poor immigrants down yeah. in steerage in a ship. Well, and you there, think there were, there you were think you would have been connected yeah. to people, and, but I don't know. You think it, you think it would have been around the neighborhood and being mentioned? I was kind of expecting it to get talked about, but yeah. that they didn't say it. I just yeah, but, I, just, um, I don't know. I I think. Uh, and this is just speculation. I just think that they had like other fish to fry. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. Well, it's just not what the story is about. In terms of the historical context of the book, the important event is the First World War. Right. It's constantly in the background. And I actually sort of thought it was going to play a bigger role. I thought yeah. maybe somebody was going to go uh, end up in the war. I thought maybe her brother was going to end up in the war. Yeah. But he really wasn't old enough. He was, what, 15? And we were only in World War One for a year. Right. So, or I guess it's year and a half. Were we in World War One longer than we've had COVID? I don't think so. I, I think, think COVID's so, been no. going on longer than America's well, involved in the first world that war. That was because I think we declared war in 1917, but we didn't do anything until like late 1917. Yeah. So like Our we, troops got over there. I actually, we prepped I, I had, for, I, for a I long think, time. Yeah. It took us a long time to send troops over. We sent guys over and they got mixed a little bit into the French units and fought during the first, first year. And I think the first American engagements were in November of 1917. Right. And then the war was over by, I want to say April of 18. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Definitely summer. Yeah. No, wait a minute. Wait, no, that's not true. It's November, November. Of 19, oh, it November? Because that's oh, that's when right. It's Veterans yeah, Day. Yeah, Veterans yeah. Day is Armistice Day. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. So, right. so okay. So it was, you know, maybe a year, a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a year of engagement maybe. But so I was just thinking about this. So she wrote this 1943 while we're in World War II. Or right. it, was it was published in 1943. I think she was born. In, I want to say she was born in 1896. So how old would that make her? 40 at the time of 40 she would have been uh, she would have been 47 years old okay. yeah so 47 years old although she was in the midst of world war ii world war one was the defining moment for that generation it would because, have to be it would have to be yeah. it would, you know right it was it was like a if you looked you know 20 years before and 20 years after you know look at all the progress and so forth after all the all the the massive wealth and and so forth after world war one you know, although there was right. the, the Great Depression in the, in the 30s, in the 20s, it was the most promising time. This was the place to be in the world, right? The United States, and especially New York City. Um, but, yeah. before, but before you know, that... You know what's funny? Huh. You know what's funny is, um, so my stepdad was very close to him. Like, he, he, he raised me in a lot of ways. So his grandmother, who was like the, my, my great-grandmother that I met when I was a little kid, and I, I met her a lot. She was born in New York City in 1900. Her parents were immigrants from Austria, just like Katie's family yeah, in the book. Yeah, right. And so I used to always think like when she was born, you know, as she was growing up, she saw like it go from there were no automobiles in New York mm -hmm. to somebody landing on the moon within yeah. her lifetime. Oh, and I always thought like, can you imagine? I mean, we, we see some pretty rapid technological change. Like yeah. there's there's a bit in this book, I think where she's they're working at the one bar. And they're listening to everybody talk yeah, about yeah. all the changes going on and stuff well, like machines, that. Oh, what's this technology going to do? And, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, like, actually, it's kind of the same conversations you hear today. It's That's not right. that different. The, the, yeah. the pace of technological change is still pretty rapid, but it's like um, 
that that change in terms of transportation technology is so like is so obvious and like so, obviously revolutionary that that's just kind of a cool right. thing to be alive for like to go from riding a horse to seeing somebody go to the moon is, sure. is insane like in well, one she, lifetime you know I, she lived she and, lived, and by the time she died there was the internet she I died she died in 96 and we, we had the internet already know, so I she pretty she, much saw i think she died in 72. No, no, I'm sorry. My, my great-grandmother. Oh, your great-grandmother. Okay. I was she she died that. in 1996. Yeah. So, so we, I was online and we were like using yeah. America online the year she died. <laughs> like, so she saw everything. So well, she, I think she, crazy, was, but. she was alive at a time when people thought big balloons filled with hydrogen could be a form of transportation. And it was like a luxury right. form of transportation with the Zeppelin. Right. Right. Um, because when did when did uh, the Hindenburg? That was thirty six, I think. Thirty six. So I mean, it was nineteen thirty six. It yeah. lasted well past, you know, well into the thirties. And but that was like a luxury, a form of luxury transportation. What? what yeah, you know the the big pointy thinking? thing, the big pointy thing on top of the Empire State Building yeah. is supposed to be a hitch for zeppelins. Right. Yeah, that's right. So they could they, they could tie up and people could go to the Empire State Building. Like, didn't they have like magnesium framework or something really stupid? <laughs> was I don't like, know. It was the hydrogen. The hydrogen gas was the problem. Hydrogen gas, but I think I think like the girders inside the steel girders, they had to be extra light. So I think they use magnesium uh, or something. Yeah, and, those are pretty flammable. Magnesium and, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. once it catches, it doesn't stop. <laughs> no, so, no, it's um, really, really dramatic. We had. I was in a chemistry class in 11th grade and uh, the teacher lit a magnesium flare, and it was the brightest thing I've ever the seen. It was like a. Yeah. like an atomic bomb going off so <laughs> we have a story we have the story of this little girl born in brooklyn uh seen it through the eyes of, a, of an immigrant immigrant child all she sees uh all the squalor uh, you see what kind of conditions mm -hmm. they lived in uh this is like a mixed immigrant neighborhoods because you'd see jews and you'd see germans and you'd see you know irish you'd see you know, there's a lot about jews versus everybody else you know there's like the perception there is yeah the jews yeah. by the end of the book uh, her aunt Sissy wants a Jewish doctor specifically because they're better. So I mean, it's like right. this weird transition. which, in my experience, is a hundred percent true. <laughs> so it's this it's this transition from the Jew selling pickles to the Jew being a doctor and being the best, right? You know, the best, right? Yeah, type of thing. So it was. So there's a lot of themes. I mean, there's the theme of the American well, and one of the themes of the book. One of the themes of the book is the value of education. Yes, right. For sure. Absolutely. And the reason why Jewish immigrants go from being boxers and pickle sellers yeah. to being doctors in 30 years is because of the value of education. education. That's right. Because it's a, it's a huge stress in the culture. And so you end up, you end up getting somewhere. Yep. And it's like they, they show, uh, Betty Smith shows the struggle between like needing to make a dollar and mm -hmm. like putting off your earnings for later to get an education. It's like right. one of the main dynamic yeah. things right. that happens to Francie through the course of the story. Does she go to um, high school or she, does she work? What do you think of the way that it turned out for everybody? Do you like that everything turns out pretty good for all the characters I except do. Johnny? Well, I think that's the point. I, I do. I mean, this is the American dream. Like this is, that's what this book is. This is the American dream. Now her life paralleled this book. So, I mean, she lived it. She was a representative of the American dream. Mm -hmm. You know, they talk about opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Let's say you found this, this, you know, field where nobody was around there's nobody in that field and mm -hmm. but there, there's gold and diamonds in there somewhere you're going to become a millionaire right and so we're looking at this country it's a brand new country very you know very small population there's not a lot of competition and at the time when kind of uh, you know america comes into its own there's not a lot mm -hmm. of technology so there's room for all of this for the intellectual property of like Thomas Edison and all these others, right? And so it's just kind of being alive at the right place at the right time. 
So it's a, it's this great time to be alive because there's a lot of op- there is that opportunity. You know, it's it's hard to it would be hard for you and I to go blaze a new trail in Silicon Valley today, right? You know, because but, but people did it, right? But people oh, there's did it. How many billionaires have been created in Silicon yeah, but Valley? Yeah, it was, it was kind of the low hanging the low hanging fruit is all gone. People say that about the American dream, right? And it's like hmm. I grew up with tons of immigrant friends, right? Yeah. And I watched people whose families came here with nothing. Yeah. succeed and kick everybody's butt who's been here for generations. Yeah. And it was always really obvious to me that like, if you focus, you can totally still do it. There's right. it's, it's just about actually working hard and getting educated. And stuff I totally like agree. That. I'm not, I'm not at all saying that what I'm saying is there's a lot of low hanging fruit to go and kind of make your own. If you, if you have the work ethic, if you have the, the education. Data. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The low hanging fruit, like to some extent, you can't just go and claim a thousand acres of land somewhere and, and set up like that. But, but you can still come here and like work really hard and, and get ahead. You know, it's I, like I said, I, I saw it happen with my own eyes. People that came yeah. here on like a, like a transport ship escaping from Vietnam at the last minute. Yeah. And they came here and the guy's the richest person I know. It's totally possible. It's just, I think, I think, honestly, I think Americans were pretty soft. You know, we really don't, well, if you're born here we've become you know, used to and it. you, yeah, we've become yeah, we've got a middle class lifestyle. Yeah. You don't work as hard. Regina's, uh, you know? my wife's parents did really well for themselves. Never went to college. I don't think her, her dad finished high school. Got a GED later, mm-hmm. uh, but but they just worked their butts off and were really smart about what they did with their money. And they retired and they own their house. They you know have an RV and you know and all this you know all this wealth that would have mm-hmm. been just a dream of their great grand parents right. who had nothing. Right, exactly. And, yeah. and so, yeah, absolutely. The American dream is still alive and, and we're doing better than they are. So, I mean, um, you know, and, and now, so, and, and what's funny is what's funny is in the example of my, of my wife's parents, it's kind of like Katie, her dad didn't finish high school. Her mom did. It was kind of a luxury in the fifties for Hispanic people right on the Mexican American border to do that. Right. To finish mm-hmm. high school, that is. But now they're all, th- they have three kids, including my wife. One's a doctor of nurse practice, as you know. Uh, another is, uh, is a vice principal of a high school. And another one is a band director at a high school. So, I mean, and, and, and right. both, of those, both of them have masters in music education. So, I mean, you know, they, their kids, they, they sacrifice a lot to make sure that their kids went off, went to college, got good, you know, education and everything else. Um, and mm-hmm. that's what, that's kind of what Katie was all about. Although she focused yeah. more on Neely than Francie, but I mean, but she was all about, look, you've got to get, you think she focused. I didn't think she focused more on Neely than Francie. I think she trusted Francie to do better than Neely. See, that's a good interpretation. So, I like that. That's see, they had, they had their moment. They had their moment when they had to decide who was going to go back to school and who was going to work. And she was like, Neely didn't want to go back to school. She was like, that means you're the one who has to go back to school. Yeah. Because if you don't want to, you're just going to work for the rest of your life. Yeah. And Francie yeah. wants nothing more than to go to school. So, so we're going to let her way. work because she'll find a way. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So no, I, don't, I, I don't think she really was more focused on Neely, although it's a really interesting discussion of this book, mm-hmm. which, which is one of the reasons why I, when I started reading it, I was like, I'm surprised Clint chose this book. Like, because yeah. it's, it's a really feminist book. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it concerns itself with women's issues throughout the book. It's all right. about women's issues. All of the interesting characters are women. 
Yeah. The, the men are just means they're to weak. an end they're weak. or, or they're, they're weak. weak. They're yeah, so they're all, weak. They're losers. Every, every single one is. Well, not all of them. Not all of them are losers well, because the guy who comes in, the, the, the white knight on the horse that comes in and saves everybody at the end is, is a good man. McShane or Ben? McShane. Yeah. McShane. And yeah. then also, yeah, Ben's a good guy. Yeah. Who's the other one? The one husband who gets his, who gets his dish together. Oh, uh, uh, Sissy's, Sissy's husband. Sissy's husband. Uh, Sissy's husband, who's night, who's named Steve. <laughs> Steve, uh, Steve, who's yeah, called yeah. John. Yeah. Steve do you think? Do you think she calls all of her husbands John? Do you think that's a nod to like her lifestyle? I don't know. I don't like know how it, she lives. Is that you got a is that a is that a yeah. subtle is you that a wonder. subtle way of uh, yeah. yeah? She carries. I was wondering. Carries uh, quote unquote balloons in her cigarette case. So I mean. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and she works at the. Yeah. I was funny how much um, body material there. Not body because yeah. it's not really done for like prurient reasons, but like there's a lot of like sex ed type content in this book but you know but it's it was just a, hinted at it's so it, under the table what they're talking about right but they never say they never of, say what the things it, that are out it, the window are is it not kind of like refreshing though and not refreshing yeah like, yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely it's always, yeah. it's always existed it's not like you yeah. know, we just invented all of this stuff it's been there forever you know it's both refreshing that it's being talked about at all in such yeah. an old book and it's refreshing to have it be sort of a little less obvious than it would be in a modern book true well, both of both of those things are kind of a refreshing way to read it like it might be because it's from a kid's point of view you know it's from francie's like she doesn't know what these things are she and her, Ex- and her except it's not from a kid's point of view well the book, the, the, book yeah, the book slips yeah. between a first person limited perspective uh-huh. and then and then when she talks to incidental characters we go completely within to their mentalities yeah. we learn everything about what they're true. thinking as yeah. if it's That's an true. omniscient point of view it's a really That's strange way to write and i really yeah. like it yeah. it creates this like pastiche of all the people that she meets throughout the book like the cops she talks to and talks to and stuff okay. you get their entire interior perspective yeah. like what's right. going on and what they think of her and stuff like that yeah and then it jumps back to her story i think that's really neat that's a weird style well, like the uh, the christmas tree guy like he, the christmas tree guy yeah exactly yeah yeah and he, and any number of other people like mcgarity at the pub mm-hmm. um the cop, yeah, the cop that meets them on the bridge at the end but see you know what's um, interesting though you know it's interesting but you don't get that for like johnny you don't get it for some of these you don't get it for you do you do you do well, you do a bit we get we get johnny's interior sometimes yeah i mean like you, you know you it's missing it sometimes where you'd like to have it and right. it's there some at other times it's it's yeah. really it's a strange way of doing things but and you know what's the only book i've ever read that did that hmm. and it's really interesting i'm sure that betty smith must have read this was is madame bovary Mm. which I'm oh, planning yeah, on doing. A f- yeah. I'm, I'm planning on doing a future episode with my wife. And I was thinking it's the only time I've ever seen that where yeah. it's about a character and it keeps going into these other people's perspective for like a couple of pages. Yeah. That's and good. it really, it really livens up everything. It's like, it, it really gives you a strength of all the incidental characters. I, I, I like it a lot. It tells right. a much broader story. It makes the, it makes what could be, like I said, like when I did the synopsis, it's just a basic family story, but it's bigger than that. Yeah. It has more scope than that. Cause you go into people's histories and stuff like that. We learn about her grandmother mm-hmm. and how she grew up, uh, things like that. So I, I like, I like that aspect of the novel a lot. Yeah. So what did you think about, uh, character wise? what did you think about, uh, her father or not her father? Um, Katie's father. Oh, Katie's father, Katie's father, boy, he's, I think that there are a lot of different stereotypical men in this uh-huh. book, right? There's a lot right. of different bad men. Okay. There's like the there's like the charming, handsome singer who's worthless. There's yeah. like the br- the brutal, like you know, physically abusive grandfather. Yeah. Who can't even talk to the kids. The way the way she saves 
the kids that. from their grandfather is by not teaching them German. Yeah, I know. I love, I love and that. And I was like, why would that matter? We, well, he could still beat them up if they don't speak German. Right. I don't understand that. But. Well, he can't be an influence on them, though. You know, he can't, he that's can't, true. he can't yeah, influence them with, with his stupid ideas. That was one thing that really situated the book in 1943 for me is that I didn't think about it at the time when she's talking about the German grandfather. Yeah. But all, but the New Year, the New Year's Eve scene late in the book when everybody's yelling outside and the Germans out sing everybody with their yeah. New Year's Eve. And she's like, I really hate Germans. Boy, they just, when they want something, they just take what they want. Right. I was like, where'd that come from? And I was like, yeah, oh, was it's, ni- it's 1943. Yeah. Of course, that's where that comes well, from. Well, it's 1943, and then it's set in 1917. It's set, yeah, it's a double yeah. whammy. It's yeah. a double whammy about hating right. the Germans, you know? So it's but like, I think, okay. I think there's more to it than that, because uh, first of all, her, let's see. So Katie's father, they were Austrian, not German. Yeah, I guess so. And, yeah, and, I feel like I think, that was pretty subtle, but yeah, that's true. And I think. Well, they're bad guys. They're bad guys in World War, World War I also. World War One and Two, but there was a lot of German like immigrant shaming. I guess you could call it. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like yeah. kind of like the Wuhan. We can't call it the Wuhan virus because the Asians will be, you know, abused or something like that. Because Asian people will be. Well, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. We we were not willing to call things sauerkraut anymore because we hated the Germans. So exactly. Much. Right. Right. And so, you but know. anybody anybody with a a last name we didn't like, um, Betty Smith, for example. So her husband, did you, I don't know if you read her, her biography, but I didn't husband, get a chance to do actually. Okay, so her, her husband is, is modeled after Ben. Okay. They go to Ann Arbor, like in real life, Betty okay. Smith goes to Ann Arbor and her husband goes to law school and, and his, his last name was Schmidt, but mm. in 19, okay. like 16, the family changed their last name to Smith because ah, they, okay. they were getting, they were getting discriminated against because they were Germans. It was a German go. last name going into World War One, and you know the Hun. I mean, there's there were advertisements like "Kill the yeah. Hun" and everything else. Right? Bosch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like so, always like that one. I, so, I, I had um, I had a bit of a uh, as a military historian, like it was kind of a hipster choice to be into World War One rather than uh, World War Two. So I was always I did a lot of World War One stuff, and I was like the Bosch. I was like calling oh, the Germans yeah, the Bosch. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, I think I think that's sort of what that that little episode kind of like implies to me. It was, it's okay to be German. It's okay. You know, we're, we're okay. It's not that they wanted to be at the head of the line. They're just like, you know, they're getting, they're getting it from all sides right now because Germany, the fatherland or whatever. Sure. Is, is going through all, you know, getting into these problems. So I don't know. I, I kind of saw something like that going on there, but. Yeah, that's interesting. I just yeah, I didn't know. I thought she was being a little bigoted. I thought she was, I didn't know she was telling. That's an interesting way. That's an interesting read. It could be sort of a sentimental thing. But she made them seem like jerks. She made them seem like, you know, goose-stepping, goose-stepping yeah. morons well, like it was, yourself. It was, it was New Year's and they're all drunk. So what are we, speaking of drunk. Uh, speaking of, yeah, that's right. I, I've had okay. I've had a cup of whiskey in my hand for the last 20 minutes and I haven't taken I a sip yet. You haven't taken a sip? Nope. I'm no, waiting till we announce that we're having the drink. I'm not okay, just going well, to pour been, it down been, my gullet. I've been sipping mine for 20 minutes. Well, uh, I will okay. say I, I like your choice of, uh, of, of paperware. Yeah, uh, right. I was hoping there'd be glasses in the hotel room and there's not. <laughs> Folks, so you can't see it, but uh, cup. Dave, Dave decided to uh, stay in a, a uh, I'm going to say Motel 6 or something like that uh, with paper. It's called, it's called a Cambria. I don't know. I don't know much about the hotel chain. <laughs> I, I, can't, have, I can't really don't have glassware because he's drinking from a paper cup. So what I you am, and, and it's been sitting here for 20 minutes. So it's actually getting kind of like soggy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's soaking through. I'm sorry. Yeah, my, not quite, not quite, but it's getting a little bit. Well, this is my, this is my pick on what to drink. And what did I choose? Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey. Now I wonder if they would have actually drunk Irish whiskey. I was, most of the I was time. wondering, I was wondering about that, but I thought or what, you know, what they would have drank local stuff. 
Johnny the, Nolan. Well, I think local stuff might have been Irish whiskey. I think they were, you know, that's probably maybe. what they would have had. Um, maybe, maybe. But it would have been hard to get peat, right? No, you need barley. No, yeah, yeah they probably would have. You, you don't need peat. So that's you don't need peat. Yeah, you don't need yeah, peat. Yeah, that's scotch. Um, so Irish whiskey is just, you know, it's just, uh, just barley. It's triple distilled. Uh, yeah, grain. You know, they they mm-hmm. do both uh, both malted and unmalted. So scotch okay. really scotch just does malted which gives you a higher sugar content. Um, Irish whiskey can do, does both malted and unmalted grains. You can't do scotch. Scotch doesn't sometimes have unmalted grains. Like you don't no, mix they, it in the blended ones. You don't mix in unmalted no. grains. Well, huh. blended okay. is just a blended scotch is, uh, is a single malt versus a, a, a mixed malt. Oh that's yeah. Strain. That's all that. Yeah. Means. Okay. But Irish whiskey is also triple distilled. So it gives a, it a cleaner taste. I don't know if you've ever noticed it has like a lighter taste than scotch. Like if you, uh, so what, what, what kind are you drinking? Well, this is interesting. So I chose powers gold, okay. Label, which is a brand from late 1700s. Uh, and you chose Jameson. Okay. Jameson, which is a brand from about the 1800s, uh, sometime in the, the 19th century, I think mid 19th okay. century. What's funny is they're both, both made at the exact same distillery. Oh, interesting. I didn't know. Uh, and they're made by the, uh, the same the same company as Pernod Richard, I think is, is the name of the company. Oh, that's uh, what we had. Oh, we had something that was Pernod. Oh, that horrible yeah. licorice stuff that we yeah. had for one of the, what, what the heck was that? What that was actually that? Pernod. That was, that was, that the, was Pernod. Yeah. Pernod. Yeah. Just, yeah. Right. 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 There. I took my first sip finally. Well, I know Jameson. I know what Jameson tastes like. This is, well, this is a, this is certainly the Irish whiskey of my choice. I thought about getting something different, but we had to buy from a bar that only had two bottles for choice. Oh, geez. Um, and I had a second of not remembering whether Tullamore Dew was Irish, which I think it is. It is. But yeah. I, had, I had like a second. I was like, uh, am I mixing that, that up or something? That would have been an interesting choice because that is a much different distillery. Did you yeah, know that there were only, in like 1996, there were only like four distilleries in all of Ireland, all the Irish whiskey. Everybody's hmm. Irish whiskey. I think that they, was the case in Scotland too for a little while. I think it was down time, to very yeah. few very few places left. As of today, I think there are like 18 distilleries in Ireland with like uh-huh. another another dozen kind of on the horizon in the next couple of years. So, you know, you go into a, you know, liquor store and you see like Powers and Jameson and, and, and these other brands, even like really expensive ones, like I think there's Yellow Spot or Green Spot or whatever it's called, which is a super expensive kind of premium Irish whiskey, but they're all made in the same distillery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now though, you're starting to see these kind of artisanal dis- distilleries pop up in Ireland, which is nice. And I think, I think what it was, you could trace it back to, a grain tax, I believe. The corn from, laws? For, from, the, from the English, yeah. Okay. And that, and that affected both Scottish and Irish distilleries. If I remember correctly, they're taxing the use of grains in World War, like World War One. Uh, essentially, the more grain you use for alcohol, the more you'd be taxed on it. And so it just kind of became, you just couldn't sustain, unsustainable, I guess, uh, to yeah. have a distillery. Um, so that's why so many of them just kind of went out of business. Either they went out of business or they went underground. And the amount of moonshiners just exploded in uh, yeah. Ireland. As well, well, you know, I was thinking about that because there's a lot of, obviously there's a main character who deals with alcoholism, dies mm-hmm. of alcoholism, and then they get a job in a pub and it mm-hmm. sort of keeps them, right. keeps their heads above water. And they just barely mention the thought of prohibition, which is coming, right? Like yeah. right yeah. after this, they mention women's suffrage and they mention prohibition. And it's like, those things are coming They're very soon, but they don't actually happen in the book and affect everybody. Right. And I was thinking, what would have happened to these Irish neighborhoods? during prohibition i think they probably would have just gone on as they were going i mean that's what happened in most of have you ever have you ever heard the saying if it wasn't for whiskey the irish would have conquered the world the world the earth yeah maybe maybe that's why maybe that's how everybody got out of brooklyn finally 
Yeah, maybe they did, they prohibition and the Irish stopped drinking and they could get themselves out of the city and get out to the suburbs. Well, I'm going to visit you know? that for a minute. I mean, you know, the Irish, it's funny. We talk about the Irish. Everybody was discriminated against back in the day. Everybody. Sure. I mean, like terrible, horrible discrimination. There are signs, famous signs, like old uh, pictures of famous signs in store windows that help. No Irish need apply. Yeah, no Irish yeah. need apply. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so the thing got- is, though, if you drop the accent, if you're Irish and you drop the accent, nobody you're, an Amer- you're an American. Nobody yeah, knows. Much, like right. you just blend right in. Even right. Italians, there probably was a little bit, and, and Jewish yeah. people too, there was a little bit, if you moved out to Nebraska, people would be like, what are you, Italian or, or Jewish or something? But if yeah. you're Irish, you show up and nobody. So I think that's why we think of the Irish as having moved forward a little faster yeah. because I think they assimilated easier. Maybe. Well, I think, I think a know? lot of them did. Italians did. I mean, it's, it's yeah, everybody's assimilated by now, definitely. But well, I think it, it took it, a little bit. I think it was a little look, easier. It's easy to look American if you're not Asian or like, black, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah. But you have to remember in those days, that's what people thought of Jews and Italians. Yeah. They were like, these, these are people who look so different than us and are so different. Than us, they'll never be American. So yeah. I think it was, it, it's why, I mean, really, if you go, I think the New York area is still one of the places where you're most likely to see Italians. Yeah. Like to this day, I mean, they li- people live everywhere. They've spread all over the country, but the place where there's a lot, there still is a large number of people of that background. Italian neighborhoods, you mean? Italian neighborhoods, and I know, like, um, like you can still see Italian neighborhoods in New York to the extent that you kind of can't with the Irish. They're still there, but it's definitely not as visible as like a remaining. I always immigrant. think of like I always think of like Boston as kind of the Irish. Boston's definitely more right. Irish, yeah. But you know what was weird is when so when I was growing up, we don't. We don't have a single Irish bar in Las Cruces, and there isn't even one in El Paso, as far as I know. Right. But when I was growing up, or not growing up, I guess when I got a little older, there's Irish bars all over D.C., for instance. Not a famous entrepot for Irish immigration. But when you go to an Irish bar in D.C., what always struck me as weird is the people that work there are Irish, like fresh off the boat with an accent, Irish people. (laughs) And I'm like, where are they coming? Do we still have a big pipeline of Irish immigrants coming to America? We actually actually do. Apparently we do. Yeah, I know. Apparently we do. But it's strange. I think it's just a country that where people like to emigrate in Ireland. A kind of itchy find a They find a friendly place here. I mean, and Mm -hmm. I met a lot of Irish immigrants. (laughs) It's funny is my I have a book about bars in case you didn't know. Not, not you have a book about bars. You wrote a book about bars. I wrote bars. a book about bars. And, right. uh, and a lot of the bars that I visited for that book happened to be Irish pubs and founded by Irish you know, immigrants. Mm-hmm. And they are still, or, or a lot of them are still owned by, you know, people from Ireland. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. McSorley's Old Ale House, one of the quintessential Irish bars in all of America and in, in New York, uh, over in the Bowery District. It was open like oh god i'm gonna get this wrong like 1865 something like that it was oh, open wow. okay it was open before the civil war so like 1861 1860 something like that and it was opened by an irish immigrant john mcsorley and it kind of ran through his bloodline mm-hmm. until at the end of his bloodline uh in like the 1960s it was sold to an irish to a guy in ireland yeah who immigrated to america he yeah, it's funny. It. So then it was kind of like it was like kept in the Irish uh, immigrant kind of legacy there. And I think his family still owns it. And then there's another bar again uh, in New York. Uh, this one is, I think, I want to say Tribeca. And uh, it is the Ear Inn, which is again fantastic, owned by a, an Irish. And all of this is discussed in your book, which is called what? Bucket List Bars. Bucket List Bars. Okay. Available. And there's. 
Is any of this material available online anywhere, Clint? Oh yeah, well, it's, I have I happen to have a YouTube channel called uh, Bucket List Bars on YouTube. But uh, nice, I would, nice. I would, you know, you don't have. I hear the to kids. Know. I hear the kids like the YouTube, so somebody oh, the kids, might. The kids somebody like somebody might. Yeah, they like the U face and the right and, the U face uh, and the and the tube, and the tube, tube book. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff. So yeah, that's <laughs> so, true. I, I do encourage you. Yeah, I was in Virginia. One of my friends that I grew up with was dating an Irish girl. And her last name was O'Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And she was like, it was funny because I was like, oh, there's a bar called O'Sullivan's. She was like, yeah, that's my family that owns that bar. Wow. Like this bar, this bar in Arlington, that's like a really popular, or it was a popular bar back in yeah. the day. I don't even know if it's still there now, but yeah. it was just like, I mean, she was like spoke Gaelic and pronounced her threes as trees, you know, like very <laughs> yeah. Irish, like no, yeah, no, yeah. no doubt about where she was from. Right. And she was a, like a recent immigrant who'd come over and they owned that bar. It was just it's just a strange thing to me to have that well, still why, be around. Why are so? Why are Irish pubs, even like fake Irish pubs, why are they so popular? Why do people like them so much? How so come, I have a, I have a dark for, theory. How come, for example, how come, for example, the Mexican cantina didn't take off across the U.S. Because and because and this is it. this is my innate critical race theory that I'm applying here. Oh, I think it's because shit. Irish bars are a place that people can guarantee can can guarantee are going to be segregated essentially in a big city when huh? we it's like you know people always knew if they went to the irish bar that that's who was going to be there it wasn't going to be like a mixed crowd mm. and like a lot of like urban white people would go there and they felt comfortable going there that's oh. like that's oh. that's what i always figured versus, the reason versus for like it. urban black people versus just a bar just a bar oh. in dc you know you go to oh. a bar in dc and you, you don't I know don't, who's gonna, i don't know you don't man. know from what I mean, it's called who's going to be there I, I think i think bars this is I mean, not really a part of my generation I think but i think like my dad's generation yeah, you would have been careful what bar you went to you know like well, you wouldn't bars want to like the, the neighborhood you go to you know i mean like yeah there were there's a there's a bar um you've probably never heard of it it's called palacios mm. and um it's down in Mesilla. I do yeah. know Palacios. Yes. You, no, you're no, you're white. You don't know Palacios. And uh, somebody said that to me one time, and I, I don't really see it that well, way. That's I never that's really that's, it. that's the point. Is that that was a neighborhood bar for immigrant farm workers from Mexico, and I mean that's mm-hmm. that's how from like 1934, which is when it was founded, you know, up until uh, you know probably just in the last 10 or 15 years, it was, you know, I mean that's where a lot of hispanic presence is found you know sure in Mesilla, you go to el patio around the corner and there's a lot of white people there a lot of white professors a lot of white doctors you know you'll find a hispanic crowd there as well but i think there's a bigger white crowd over at el patio for some a little bit more a little bit more the back the back room of palacios there's a lot of elderly people doing uh like you know 50s 50s dancing and stuff like that like i I mean it's all kinds of people but it's not it's not a particular but uh, but i always heard that too is like uh, you've been to you've been to Palacio? Like, yeah, I've been to Palacio. But, but somebody right. said that to me people when go. I moved. When I moved here, I, I live right down the street from Palacios. Right. So I was talking to a friend of mine. And he was like, "Oh, I want to see if you guys have any cojones. You want to come to Palacios with me?" I'm like, "I've been to Palacios. It's right down the block from my house. Yeah. Why wouldn't it, I go there? It's, a, it's was, a bar. Why not? I didn't really feel like a tough guy going there. I just went there and maybe, like, maybe it's maybe it's different though in like uh, in in New York and I think it Baltimore. Is. I think it is. I think it is Austin. different. And not so much today, which is actually, that's one thing that I was thinking about this book. All the groups of immigrants get mentioned, mm-hmm. right? All yeah. the big population groups of Brooklyn get mentioned, except African-Americans. Right. And there were a lot of African-Americans in Brooklyn in the, in the 
early 20th century. That is an interesting, yeah. That's it's a weird thing to a omit, glaring, right? That's a kind of a glaring. It's a big omission. And I, yeah, I don't know, maybe she didn't want to deal with that. You know, the intersectionality of like, you know, she's telling a feminist story and an well, Irish story you know, and an immigrant it, story. Kind of, and, also, it's, in, it's, it's, a, it's complicated if you want to talk about immigrants. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want to tell the story of immigrants because African-Americans didn't come here because they wanted to. Well, know? except um, that when you're in New York and you're in Chicago and you're in Detroit, African-Americans can sort of be viewed as immigrants. They're essentially you know, immigrants from the country of the South. Well, yeah, I guess like the, 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 the great migration I guess, northwards. I guess you could you know? put it that way, but it's just it's such a different, complicated story. And you well, said it is, it is, probably it is. But it would be a really interesting thing to have heard a little bit about in this book because, yeah. huh? I, I don't know what that you know at that time. I don't think the experience was all that different. I don't think the life of an Irish or Italian immigrant was all that much different from. Well, it must have been because there was all the violence and stuff like that against. Yeah, they didn't. African they didn't Americans. come in chains. <laughs> well, no, I'm no, I'm talking about in New York. People didn't. I mean, right. people. There were slaves in New York State, but not after the 19th century. Sure. Um, the people who lived in Brooklyn came as as well. They came looking for work, just like the Irish did. Right. In the in the late 19th century. Right. And I don't. They I'm, obviously they faced challenges at the Irish. Well, I don't know. The Irish would have been pretty pretty put upon. In the 19th century in, in new york there were there were gigantic riots for instance in new york yeah around um there's a there's a um, an anniversary of the battle of the boyne which is a big protestant catholic divide mm-hmm. um among irish people and that was such a big deal in new york that they would have bloody riots in the 1880s and 1890s like they had to like yeah. shut the city down like people like hundreds of people would die in these riots well there's a the so, movie uh gangs of new york that's of course right movie yeah, that's the, the draft riots, um, which is cons- you know. it's during the Civil War. Right. Well, you think know, about you know, think about how much think about how much the Irish who came over here wanted to fight in the Civil War armies in the right. Union Army. Yeah, for sure. Sort of, yeah. sort of, because it paid well, but otherwise they really didn't have much interest right. in yeah, it. Exactly. And by the by the time of 1864 and 1865, where lots and lots of people were getting killed. Yeah. They really had very little interest in being drafted into that. Well, army. That's, that's what the riots were for, because if you're my if you're, um, if you're rich, you could buy yourself out of the draft if you're poor. Right. You're drafted and you're screwed. And so who yeah. got drafted? All the immigrants. I mean, it's kind of oh, like, yeah, my, it's kind of like the, my it's great, like great. The Af- it's kind of like the African-Americans in Vietnam, right? Because they're poor and couldn't get out of the draft. Right. You get drafted and you go to fight for a country that yeah. like sprays hoses on you and six right, dogs right. on you. Right. That's all, a pretty twisted the, thing to have white, to do. White kids can get out of the draft because they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to college or I'm going to be a teacher right. or whatever it happens to be. So, I mean, yeah, my my great, great grandfather, sorry, probably three greats grandfather came to New York City in the 1850s this is uh patrick brennan my great 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 grandfather and then ended up in the union army and fought at like some of the worst places i mean he was at like missionary ridge and stuff like that like his unit and so he was a very stereotypical experience of an irish immigrant joining the civil war armies it was he's lucky he's i'm I'm lucky he survived the war it was that bad the service was very very difficult so i had other people in my family that like were in the civil war army but like got on a boat ended up in the Caribbean for a couple of months and then went back home. And that was their civil war service. But this guy was like, as they said in Vietnam, in the dish, you know, like right in the middle of it. I think kind of the lesson is that, that, you know, the history of immigration and and the history, I guess the history of being an American, like what it means to be American is, is, is just rife with complexity and, and uh, difficulty. I mean, cause we haven't talked about the, anti, what is it? The anti-Chinese act of like, was it 19 mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, where they, 
forbade any more Chinese immigration in the U.S. Sure. I mean, expressly discriminated against one group of people. Those that yeah, were yeah. here were exclusion, exclusion right. act, right? Yeah, exclusion act, and and those that were here were dying by the score because uh, you know railroad accidents, and I mean they were just taking sure. on worse jobs because that's all they could get. But I think I think this book. Now she she actually does talk about Chinese immigrants. Yeah, she does. There there is a there is a character who has a coolie haircut and everything yeah. like that. Right. And she specifically mentions how he's an immigrant who's not planning to stay. She's like, he doesn't cut his hair because if he cut his hair, he wouldn't be able to go back to China. So they all just think he, and he doesn't learn to speak English at all. And he's, he's excluded far more than the other immigrants are. He's not, he's not considered to be assimilating the way that other immigrants are. And that mentality I think was at the root of the exclusion acts. It was like the idea that Chinese people weren't really coming here to be Americans. It's like, I think, I think that was the, the belief that centered around Asian immigrants in the, in the 1800s, at least. And I don't think it didn't, it didn't start to change until well after World War II, I don't think. We started right. to get large numbers of immigrants. So one of the things I wanted to ask, so I grew up back east. I'm, I'm a northeast kid. So are you familiar with the tree of heaven? Do you know what she's talking about? No. Okay. So this is a tree my whole life in D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia, Wilmington, Delaware, New York, Boston, all these places. I always saw this tree. I didn't know what it was called until I was like in my thirties. I finally looked it up one day because I was like, what is that tree that always grows like between the interstates everywhere? And like, is always sticking up from under overpasses and like in a, in a broken lot, you see it and stuff like that. And it's the tree of heaven. It's a mimosa. It's actually, she doesn't even mention this. It's actually an invasive species Mm -hmm. that originally comes from Asia. Weirdly, it's It's an immigrant. It's an immigrant, right? And it grows under the toughest conditions mm-hmm. and it thrives under the toughest conditions where a fir tree can't grow. Right. And I just, I just think that's being a hundred percent familiar with the tree she's talking about. Yeah. I was like, that's a terrific metaphor. That I just love throughout the book, throughout the book. I just love that metaphor. So like it, it, it really, grows, it really hit home. It grows me, where right? nothing else can. It thrives yes. no matter how much is pushed back and, and yeah. burned and yep. cut down and everything else. It'll still grow. I think There's as long a, as it rains, I think as long as it rains, I don't think you're going to see it growing in LA. There's down here, uh, maybe though, I don't know, in, but... in the Southwest where we live, uh, mm-hmm. there, there is a, a tree called the Mexican elder, uh, which is the exact same. You cannot kill them. I mean, they, okay. they you cut them down, you try chopping them unless you like dig up the roots and you like, <laughs> you know, dig up that, the, the trunk and stuff. Uh, you cannot kill these things. Right. Um, I mean, all their leaves will fall off. Their branches will fall off. You'll assume that it's dead. Before you know it, just like with the tree of heaven, there'll be like a branch that springs up or something like that. And you're like, what the heck? So for me, that was kind of like that. I, I can't picture the tree of heaven because I've never lived back east it's, like that. But if you but picture, I, can... I always thought it looked like, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe. It looks like a fa- like fan blades. It's like it's like individual long stripy patterns like a, like, mm-hmm. like um, on each leaf. So it's, it really sticks out. You definitely notice it. It doesn't look like anything else that grows. It looks like something from the dinosaur times or something, the way the leaf is. So that's why I always noticed it when I was growing up, even though I didn't have a name for it. You know, it's just a really hardy thing. And I, I think that's one thing she's talking about. Uh, it's part of the metaphor that kind of gets lost is it's like these children, these, these like poor immigrant children in Brooklyn, that if there were only one of them and you saw how hardy they are and you saw how tough they are, you'd be like, this is an amazing, wonderful thing. Yeah. Right. But when they're when they're all over the place, you're just like, ah, you know, these Irish, they grow up like oh, weeds, you know, and it's we don't have to, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's like you don't realize how tough and hardy they are and how that's right. actually a really impressive thing. And yeah. I think there's a there's a metaphor within a metaphor with Sissy losing all those children. Right. 
and like having the 10 children oh, die and then the 11th one going? and that 11th one that lives is like i don't know there's just a whole it's a really really intricate interweaved metaphor throughout the book yes. that i just love i think it's i think it's great yeah. i think i could sit and i could think about what that means in this book all day and like yeah. never stop you know never run out of stuff to say and that that's that's I like that kind of thing. So I like that. What you, I like that a lot. What's your uh, What's your biggest surprise in the book? You know, the biggest surprise, and this is this is not the biggest surprise, was how emotional I got towards the hmm. end because uh, I have a fourteen year old daughter. Don't, were you I, Were you like yelling at the book like "Don't sleep with this guy with yeah, the with the, 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 yeah, the army guy"? I was like, "Oh my yeah. god, please don't do that! Yeah, please yeah. don't do that!" Like, well, the whole last book is about kind of a coming of age at that point. You know, she's, right. she's, she is going from a little girl. She's 14. I think it ends when she was like 17. Right. Yeah, I think so. That was yeah. like the last book. So I'm sorry. When I say book, it's, it's five books. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's a five book. It's a five se- book novel. Seven. Yeah. Separated into five books. I think each of them have like three to five chapters each or something like that. Mm, that's, it's a lot actually. It's, it's, they're, they're pretty more, more than that. Yeah. You're right. They're right. pretty manageable six or like, seven page chapters. Yeah, it's, like, or, it's like 40 something chapters, I think. Yeah, no, 50, 57 oh, in my, in my book. I don't know. It could be different. But, but the last book is, is really is where it takes this hard turn from her finally going from a child to an adult. And, and we're talking about an adult in like 1917. So an adult, right woman would be 15 or 16 years old yeah that's one which, of the big things which, the the idea is, of like what age when, you're an adult at yeah it's so she, different she, it's so different today like when when did you feel like when did you feel like you were an adult 20 in your life 26 20, brother, 26 and what was there an event or an age i was a complete idiot i was a com- absolute idiot uh, and even into my twenties, I, I well, Clint, Clint, I have bad yeah. news. Oh yeah. You well, may be an adult. That... You may, you may be an adult, but yeah. some, some things, some things haven't changed. Yeah. No. What's that? I'm definitely at 44. I'm definitely still. I know. I still have idiot. a little bit of acting. Is that what you're talking about? No, no. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I'm still a complete idiot, but that has not changed. I'm <laughs> no, just an adult I, with no, responsibilities. Even more than I, than I am today. I'm mean, right. I, like, okay. I was immature. I was uh, an immature yeah. idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Up until mid twenties. And then something just changed. And I think it was like the frontal lobe or the cortex or something i think so i think it continues to develop yeah you just learn how to use that frontal lobe all through your life women mature faster than men everybody says that and i think back then you had to mature more quickly than you do today maybe that's why they think of their men as being such idiots maybe maybe it's because you were under such pressure to grow up so fast and men just don't just didn't maybe like we're just i don't really yeah like you said I think I was like 30 before I really started thinking of myself as like fully an adult, Yeah, you know, and maybe it's just, if you're, if you're a person who, whose life is over by the time you're 30, maybe the guys just never get their dish together and so. start behaving like grownups. So yeah, that's a good point. Cause Johnny Nolan, uh, her dad, he was a dreamer. He was romantic, but he never matured. He never really, right. He had to do Katie was kind of representative of the male. Yeah. The male figure in the family. I mean, she was, the, the head of the house anyway. Mom, yeah. Yeah. It was the head of the yeah. household. She did all the planning and, and, and arranging and, and working. See, and- but I think, I, I also think I've seen some of this in like, so my, like I said, my wife is an immigrant, she's Russian and the background can be kind of misogynistic the way that their culture is not so much my wife's family, but a lot of the people like around yeah. their sphere, you see it. And I think that if you have a situation like Katie and Johnny, where it's like, it's a, it's a, a paternalistic culture where the man is in charge of the family and that the man is no good. The yeah. family is just screwed. Right. Because the woman can't really just be in charge the way it should be. And 
I think it just, it's, it's what causes this resentment when you're yeah. talking to women from these traditional cultures, they just resent mm-hmm. the hell out of the fact that, or sorry, the heck out of the fact that these guys, these guys are put in positions of authority when they don't deserve it. And so there's a lot of animosity yeah. between the genders or between yeah. the sexes. You're, well, you're I, a I professor. Like Am I supposed to say gender or sex in this case? I don't, I don't know. Between but I think, men and women anyway. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, that's reflected in when, when they kept talking about the women's suffrage and like, well, mm-hmm. you know, women get the right to vote. Well, it doesn't matter. They're going to vote anyway. She's going to vote how I vote. How yeah, I exactly. vote, vote. So I guess like, did you ever see the movie um, Inside Out? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Did you cry at the end? Or did you uh, get no, no, Clint. Oh. I'm a man. I don't. I don't cry. Oh, I, I, I'm. I'm made of steel. Today's man cries, man. No, you know what gets me is Coco. Coco kicked. Coco does butt. too. But for us, you know, there's. A, we're looking at my daughter. I think when yeah, 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 that came out, Ainsley was like nine, and it tells us what's in store for her because oh, I, yeah. I think the the protagonist, the girl that it all takes place in inside her, I think she's like fourteen. Right. No, I think she's a little, she's more like right on the edge of puberty, like 11 or 12. Okay. But it's, it's, it's the transition. That's yeah. 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 It's that transition. And like, we knew what was in store for Ainsley and we were just ball and we were just a total. Yeah. And so when I read this book at the end, the last book, and she makes that turn from innocent 14 year old, 13 year old, 12 year old girl. Now I'm responsible for stuff. Right. Now. And now, and then when that happens, like the world comes down, like there's all this pressure suddenly. I mean, just suddenly now she's a woman, you know, oh, but way more, way more, way more so than our kids would ever have. Like we would not put the pressures no, of sure. earning and no, the pressure. Absolutely. I, don't, I mean, I don't expect can you parents. imagine having to go through that terrible transition of like becoming an adult, like physically and having to become an adult, like emotionally yeah. and intellectually, everything. That really, that really got way to me. Harder. I was, I was surprised at how, how much that got to me. And so this is a bestseller is a, is a phenomenon in 1943. Okay. So, uh, we entered World War II, 1943, really. We declared war in 1942. Was it 41? December? December 7th, 1941. Yeah, okay. So 43 were. Day uh, which will live in infamy, except actually overseas. This was picked by the U.S. Armed Forces as a book to send to the troops. Did you know? Wow. That? Wow. That's weird. So, so it, and then what they did is they made it, they printed it so that it would fit into like the cargo pot, like a pot yeah, yeah, yeah. uniform. Yeah. And one of the reasons I picked this book, because I always wondered about it. I, I didn't, I never read it. Mm-hmm. Didn't know anything about it. One of my favorite shows is called um, Band of Brothers. Band, Band of Brothers. Yeah. Band of Brothers. And there's, there's that episode. It's like towards the end where Picante goes out on a, on a, uh, it goes out on uh, to the guard station. And as he's going up to the guard station, the, he's relieving this other guard. And he's like, Hey, here's a book for you. He gives it to him. And he says, Hey, is this filled with like, girly stuff or something like that like you know like salacious right and the guy says hey, ain't that kind of book and walks yeah. away and then it shows the cover and it's a tree grows in brooklyn yeah yeah and i always wondered about that so I, I looked up the history and so this there were like a there weren't very many there were like five or six books and what the military did is they printed them in they bought them printed them specifically so that they would fit in the uniform so a guy yeah. could carry it like in his like BDUs, his, his battle dress uniform. Yeah, yeah. And what uh, were the other books? That's what I want to know. I don't know. I, I didn't look those up, but this is one of them. And huh. she said, Betty Smith said she got more letters from soldiers. These are guys right. fighting overseas than anybody else, you know, in, in, well, in, in the entire time. So this, is, so this is one thing I was thinking about in this book, because I was thinking like, this is getting into the head of uh, not only all the characters that are sympathetic in this are, are female. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the men are just tokens. All the sympathetic characters are female. They're Irish immigrants. They're living a hundred years before me. 
And I'm reading this novel and I'm a hundred percent in their, in their worldview. Like I'm, I'm inhabiting their minds while I'm reading the book right. and totally empathizing with them and everything. Yeah. And I've been thinking, sometimes I hear people talk about, um, I used to listen to this podcast that used to drive me crazy. It was these like millennial kids. And this one guy was talking about how he never watched the show Roseanne. This is an African-American guy doing the podcast. And he's like, I never watched a show Roseanne because I just couldn't identify with the people. They don't look anything like me. And I was like, wait, but one of the best things about fiction is to read and empathize and watch people who aren't like you. Right. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't that be the point of reading a novel or watching a show? I don't particularly identify with Roseanne's family either, Yeah. but I'm watching this and I'm like learning about a different kind of person than what I am. Like, isn't that, when did that stop being the point of fiction? Yeah. You know, what is that kid talking about? I don't know. That just drove me crazy. That kind of thing. I was like, what do you, yeah. Like I, I watch things with African-American characters all the time. I think it's fascinating to find out about other people's lives. I think, I think um, one of the things that, that a lot of the soldiers were identifying with was the immigrant background. Of course, um, of course. There's, that would have been that, ubiquitous among the soldiers 19, in World War II. You know, yeah. And yeah. as well as this is what I'm fighting for. Right. Um, those, so those yeah. are the two types of letters that she was getting. It was one that said, you know, this is just like my family. But the other one saying, sometimes I, I need to be reminded of why I'm out here fighting and stuff. And your book helped me do that because yeah. it's about the American dream. It's about, you know, not being told what to do, you know, being able to, to, to live your life and being able to raise yourself up and better yourself for your children and better your right. children's lives and stuff like that. So it's one thing that wouldn't sit well with modern readers is the, uh, the, the unwillingness to accept charity, oh, the constant, the constant running theme of being like, you know, no, you'd be a bad person if you accept charity, you know, right. that's something that I do not think would resonate with people in no, 2021. Right. Well, I just don't, it's pride and humility are, are two, two basic kind of virtues of, of the uh, protagonists, you know? I don't know. I, th- I think it, I think you could do a whole thesis on what that difference is. Why is that? I'm not sure I understand it on the I, I don't have a hypothesis right now off the top of my head for why yeah. that has changed, but I found it interesting. I was like, you don't hear people talk like that anymore. That's not really a thing. Like shaming is a big part of it. <laughs> shaming when, when she, yeah. she gets shamed yeah. for the, uh, yeah. was it the doll or whatever that, that she gets at the Christmas, uh, the Christmas pageant. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was actually thinking because shame is a, shame is a theme running through it, right? Like sissy gets shamed. Um, there's the girl in the neighborhood, or the, the ladies throw rocks at her, just right. like just Joanna? like the story from just like the story from the Bible. You know, this is my this is my half baked theory of the week. Um, the the guy that saves everybody at the end is McShane. McShane. And I was thinking, McShane? did they choose that name because it yeah. sounds like shame, and shame <laughs> is a theme of the book? Right. I don't know. I'd be. I don't really 100 know where that's going, but we're getting towards the end of our. Uh, Get towards really the end of our, yeah. our so time what's your, here. So what's, your, what's your surprise? My biggest surprise, I have two. One is uh, just the basic fact that my whole life, I thought this book was about a Jewish family. Okay. When I picked up the book and read the first five pages, I was like, oh my God, this is about Irish people. That's completely why, different think, than what I was. Why do you think it was uh, about a Jewish family? To me, Brooklyn is a place where Jewish people live because my family in Brooklyn is Jewish. Ah. So it's just, it's, I don't know, just ignorance. I didn't know anything about the book and I just right. had not given it much thought. So that's a, that's a lazy man's surprise of the week. My sure. big surprise of the week is what an incredible proto-feminist novel this is. Yeah. This, this deals with every issue that the feminists of the 1960s would have been talking about right. in like a smaller form yeah. and in a, in a less you know, doctrinalized way, but it's all there. Every single question, it talks about abortion. It talks about women like abuse. It talks about women's right to vote. It talks about 
all the issues that would have been education. Yeah. Which is not to say, I mean, Gloria Steinem didn't invent feminism, right? Obviously, it goes back to Elizabeth Cady Stanton and people like that. But it's just the 1940s, 30s, 20s is a time where I don't I'm not as familiar with the with the body of people talking about the issue as I am. So that really surprised me. I thought that was I thought that was a really interesting bit of the book, honestly. I thought that was really cool. So those are my two. Those are my two big surprises. All right. So so let's get to the uh, let's get to the chase, man. Let's cut to the chase. I think I think I think I've given away what I'm going to do uh, okay. on this question of whether this is a classic because I really enjoyed the heck out of this book. Uh, yeah. So I mean I think it's 100. I think it's a little bit maudlin how everything ends up well yeah. for everybody. Sure. I think there's a little bit of a rags to riches Horatio Alger kind of a thing that's kind of corny, but it's enjoyable. I really didn't want anything bad to happen to these people. I actually wanted the book to end in book four after she got together with McShane because I saw book five coming. I was like, oh no, like what's yeah, going to happen? Yeah, I don't right. want to know what's going to, but the rest was just a coda where everything went just, just as well for everybody. So it turned out okay. Um, yeah, I, I simultaneously enjoyed the happy endings and was like, that's eh, not, you know, yeah. it's not really how life is, you know, to a large extent. You don't always, there's not always some handsome man that swoops in and saves every poor single mother. People had that, a tough that, reaction. That's what, reality, that's what happened you know? though. Like, like that's, that's what happened. I mean, her, oh, her, oh, it has happened to people. It's, it's not that it hasn't, I'm just saying. No, but that's what happened to her. Right. So that's right. what I but said. The, it's like autobiographical. But the, the struggle in reality probably would, it would have been almost kind of more interesting to just see her make it on her own, mm. you know, uh, yeah, but, but, point. but I still, I still thoroughly enjoyed the book and I would hundred percent recommend it to just about anybody. So I a hundred percent. And I, like I said, I could talk about the themes, the metaphor, the immigration stuff all day. I yeah. think Americans should still read this book. I think it's a classic. So I'm definitely toasting it. All no right. question well, about it. I am so. so glad to hear that. Uh, right now, Dave is going to insert a clinky sound effect. Clink. Clink. Yeah. Okay. We don't really. Um, I could do the uh, I could do the the um, thing that ends our podcast every week, the the, yeah, the well. shaking glasses. And the, uh, <laughs> I actually had those glasses with us for the last episode to do a, a diegetic sound effect. But this week, I'll have to insert it. Absolutely. So, so um, I, I have to admit, that Dave has a has a much more interesting life than me. Where are you going, Dave? In, in like an hour? Going to Diamondbacks game. Oh, see okay. the Padres and Diamondbacks. Yeah. Oh, that's so, great. Um, doing that, and then uh, we're going to go to the game tonight, and then we're off into the mountains up here east of Phoenix to do some camping for the next two nights. So, you know, someday I will, I will be successful enough to leave uh, or to lead Dave's life. Uh, but for now, thank you for joining us, and yep. uh, we appreciate. Uh, you know, all your support, if you could please pass this on to people that you think uh, might be interested. Absolutely. Um, Rate and review. Reviews are a review big deal. And uh, subscribe. And uh, thanks for joining us. And what's, uh, what's next? What's next is a film. Okay. And I am pretty good about having seen the films of Stanley Kubrick, but I have a gigantic gap in the shape of a, a, little, a little film that covers the events of the Second Servile War, otherwise known as Spartacus. Ooh. Um, so ah. we're going to go ahead and we're going to watch that for next week. And I have not decided what the drink will be. All right. So but, we're, we're um, watching Spartacus. Watching Spartacus. No, I yep. do know that that involves uh, men in hot tubs massaging each other. So Why do you think I chose it? Why do you think I, I, know, I chose it? Clint? I know. So trying so next, to send you a hint. Yeah. So next, uh, next um, episode will be um, recorded on location in the hot tub. And right. uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> All right. Peace out. Bye. That's it for episode 20 of Toasting the Classics. For those who are playing along at home, get some sweet, high-percentage white wine for our discussion of the 1960 film Spartacus. For those who'd like to get in touch, 
Send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, recommendations for great Irish bars, whatever. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle McCarthy. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Thank you.